Good morning. It's good to be home. <laughs> it is really good to be home. I uh, have been traveling just a little bit. We went to a, a family camp uh, in uh, Riodoso uh, Mountain um, View. Uh, we were there for several days and, and, and then headed on over to Pine Springs uh, and spent a few days up there. So I almost feel a little bit like a mountain man. Uh, one thing I can tell you is um, Hobbs is more in Texas than it is in New Mexico. Uh, I looked at uh, my uh, phone one day. It was 68 degrees, which happened to be the high in Riodoso for the four or five days we were there. Uh, at the same time, I flipped over to see the weather in Hobbs, and it was 102. So um, it was tempting to hang out there just a little bit longer but I long to be home, and I am, I'm so glad to be back here. I have one little thing, uh, uh, maybe a little bit of a, a promotion here, something I, I want to make you aware of. Uh, a couple years ago, we went through a study called The Story. Uh, it was basically um, 31 chapters, uh, a summary of the Bible from the beginning to the end, obviously only a summary uh, since there's over a thousand chapters in the Bible, it condensed it down to 31 and tried to give some blips of, of how God's story was being played out from the very beginning of time, culminating in the birth, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And I, I hope you enjoyed that. We spent a, a good uh, deal of time, nine months working on that. Uh, and now uh, a year has passed since we ended that study, a little bit more than a year. And there is a new book out. It's called Believe. Uh, it is very similar to the story that we went through. Um, it is uh, much like it in um, the format. It is almost all Scripture. Uh, just like the story was, there's some things in between that kind of give a little bit of a summary and then say, what does this mean? Uh, but uh, the same editor, Randy Frazee, uh, is the one who compiled this. Uh, and this is what we are going to be studying in the coming months. Uh, we have ordered a bunch of these. I'm, I'm not doing what I did last time. Last time I ordered about 20 of them at a time, and they, they were gone before we had a shot to, to figure out who had what. So I've already ordered 100 of them. They have already come in uh, while I was away at camp, and people have already started wanting to buy these. So next week, you're going to see these in the foyer. Uh, if you would like a copy of one of these, I encourage you to take one. If you're not going to read it, don't take it. Um, but if you would like one of these, I would encourage you to get this. In September, we're going to be starting this study. Uh, I, I think you're really going to enjoy it. Uh, if you would like to make a donation, um, th we paid about $15 for these. Um, and if you would like one and you'd like to give a donation, that's fine. If you cannot give a donation, uh, but you're going to read it, take this book and read it and uh, we pray that, that we have, um, that we will be taken care of on these. If, if you want to pick up one and then, um, give a donation so somebody else can have one, if they can't afford one, we'll, we'll accept that too. But either way, we want everybody to have a copy of these. Uh, we, we ordered a hundred of them and I suspect that it's not going to be enough, but that's the first go round. Uh, so we'll have a box out there and you'll be able to do that. So you'll hear a lot more about that. But when you come in next week and you see a, a stack of these, you'll know what's, what's going on. Let's begin with a prayer and then, and then we'll jump into to Acts. Father God, I, just, I thank you for being an awesome God, for being a powerful God. And Lord, 
for, for your word to reveal itself uh, in such an amazing way. Lord, I, I'm so thankful um, that, that we have uh, those who have uh, written about your son Jesus to, to give us a better understanding of who he is and ultimately a better understanding of who you are. And so, Lord, I just pray that we will continue to delve into your word uh, and learn more about you. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. I've seen it in a lot of places, in several different churches where I've gone. Uh, I've seen this banner hanging up uh, in their uh, auditorium or in their sanctuary. Uh, and and the, what it really says is this. We long to be like the first century church. And I've looked at that and I've thought, Really? Do we really want to be the first century church? So I want to walk you through just a minute the book of Acts. Uh, So let's have a little fun with this. I've been at camp and it's a little more interactive, so I'm going to ask you to help me out just to make sure that you're awake. Uh, The book of Acts was written by Luke. It was written by Luke. Okay, if you said Paul, you would have been right on almost any other book in the New Testament except Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, It was written by Luke. Uh, Luke was um, not alive during the time of Jesus, uh, but he was um, commissioned uh, either by a man named Theophilus, which could have been his personal name, or it could have just been his title. Uh, And he came to Luke and he said, listen, here's the deal. What is going on uh, with Christianity and what took place with Jesus of Nazareth is very compelling and it's something that people need to know about. The book of Mark had already been written. Um, Matthew was probably being written about the same time. But Theophilus wanted to have this orderly account, as Luke would call it. And so he commissioned him, he hired him and said, tell me about Jesus in his life. So So Luke, this very meticulous man, a doctor by trade, uh, began going around and questioning people uh, and interviewing them and and looking for people who had first-hand accounts of what had taken place. And that's why we have Luke, the the largest of the three Gospels, uh, not chapter-wise, but length-wise, it's bigger. And then Acts is really, it's part two. It it is really volume two. He would call it a book. He says in my former book, he says in Acts chapter 1 verse 1, uh, he says I wrote about this. But now he's going to start chronicling in, in the book of Acts, the church. What was a result of Jesus and his teachings? How did it play out after Jesus died, after he rose and after he ascended. And so it's only logical that Acts chapter 1 begins with the ascension of Jesus, and it would continue on. Of course, we're probably more familiar with Acts chapter 2 than any other chapter in all of Acts, and that is at Pentecost, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that. But listen to this. This is, this is what the first century church was like. Chapter 2 was Pentecost, we know about that. Chapter 3, there was a miracle that took place and a sermon uh, by Peter. Chapter 4, we have Peter and John, they're seized and they're warned 
about what's going on. And then later on in chapter 4, the church shares, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. In uh, chapter 5, there are the apostles who are jailed. They're threatened to be killed, and they are flogged to be released. Chapter 6, we have Stephen is seized. There are false witnesses that are brought up against him. And then in chapter 7, he's going to give this marvelous speech, this sermon of sorts. But things kind of go uh, down from there. In fact, I want to read a little passage from there. Acts chapter 7, starting in verse 54. This is after uh, uh, Stephen gives a sermon. Um, you know, I, I always wonder what people think about how the sermon went. Okay, uh, it's always nice if people respond or people come up and later say, wow, I was really touched by that. Here is the response when, when he wasn't even finished with this sermon. Here's what took place when Stephen had got done. Verse 54 of Acts chapter 7. Uh, he says, when they heard this, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. I don't know exactly what that looks like, but something gives you the idea that they were not pleased with him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the Father. At this, they covered their ears, and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out, of the city, and they began to stone him. That's not a good ending to a sermon. That's not the response that you're hoping to get. But this is the response that he got. And we're also going to just mention at the second part of verse 58, you're going to hear about a guy that's going to become pretty prolific through the rest of Acts. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And now here's, you're going to know the answer to this. Saul is going to have his name changed to? Yeah, so for those of you who were thinking about Paul, here he is. Now, I'm not going to go through the rest of Acts, but this is the beginning. Paul uh, is, is going to be a major contributor uh, as far as what is said about the things that he does throughout this time. But you can go to Iconium, you can go to Lystra, you can go to Ephesus, you can go to Philippi, you can go to Thessalonica, and all throughout the Acts, over and over and over again, Paul and the apostles, they stir up trouble because they preach Jesus of Nazareth, the carpenter who was crucified and he rose again, and it did not go well in any of those cities. Uh, oftentimes, uh, Paul and his companions, they were flogged, they were beaten, they were put in prison, uh, they were stoned and left for dead. This was the life of Paul. In fact, uh, theologian N.T. Wright says, in summarizing Acts, he says, another day, another riot. That was the life of the first century church. And so I'm always a little confused when I walk into a building that says, we long to be the first century church. And my question again is, really? Have you read Acts lately? Do you know what it means to be the first century church? Do you know what it means to be a people who wherever you go, when you speak about Jesus, a riot is inside it? 
But there's another, another aspect of the first century church that I think is something we might want to aspire to. Not that we want to be flogged or stoned, but there's something else. Uh, I've been at camp all week, and, and I, I saw something, uh, a demonstration that was done that was great. It was done by a man by the name of Rodney Peters. Um, I actually got reacquainted with him. I don't want to think that I came up with this. I don't want you to think that I came up with this on my own. I borrowed it from him. Rodney and I actually grew up at the same church, and I hadn't seen him in years and years and years, and it just turned out that we were reunited at camp and had a great time, and I went to visit one of his classes, and he did this, and I thought, this is phenomenal. Uh, and this goes exactly with what I want to talk about with the, the, the church uh, in Acts. And so I'm shamelessly stealing his example. So if, if you ever run into a guy named Rodney Peters in Mansfield, Texas, um, I did not steal it from him. I, I borrowed it without his permission. So I'm going to need some help here. And I normally pick on kids, but um, you know what? I think it's time to pick on a really old person this time. Michael Cheney, can you come up here? Michael Cheney has no idea he was coming up here until he heard really old person, then he knew that had to be him. So we're going to try to do this. I'm going to try not to... Okay. This is really simple, and so that's why I picked you. Because I knew if it was overly complicated then you would have some issues. So what I want you to do is, I want you to take uh, the pitcher and I want you to fill the cup with water. Okay, wait, wait, hang on just a second. I forgot, there's, there's a couple rules. First rule is, you can't touch the pitcher. Okay, so what I want you to do is, I want you to take, I, I want you to put water into the cup, but you cannot touch the pitcher. Go ahead. I don't, we'll just... You can't touch the cup either. Unless, I, I will make an exception. You can touch the cup as long as there is water in it. But there has to be water in it before you can touch it. This can only end in disaster. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I did. Note to self. Don't pick Cheney again. No, you just touched it there, Chief. I know you did. I mean, you can't get away with as if nobody saw you slide it over. It's possible. But you cannot touch the pitcher. And you cannot touch the glass unless there's some water in it. Then you can do it. Yes. No, you can't touch the water either. No, you didn't, you didn't listen for the third rule. You can't touch the water either. Michael Cheney. I should have picked Julia. She would have done a much better job. She is prettier. Um, it can, it's possible. Maybe, maybe we just need somebody smarter. Does anybody have an idea how he can get water in here? Michael, you cannot touch the pitcher. You cannot touch the water, and you can't touch the cup unless there's water in it, but it's possible to get water in there. If you were out at Pine Springs, you can say nothing. 
Scott, put your hand down. Does anybody know? Somebody, a straw. Well, we're using like they do in the NFL, you know, if it's a part of your body. that You, you can't put on a glove and do that. You can't use a straw. Oh my goodness, where'd that come from? Kara. Did you hear that? What'd she say? <laughs> Another good reason why I asked Michael to come up. Anyone? Michael? I would love to pour some water in there for you, Michael Cheney. <laughs> okay. The objective was very simple. We wanted to get... I did. We wanted to get water into the cup. You couldn't touch the pitcher. You couldn't touch the water. And you couldn't touch the cup unless there was water in it. And the only reason I said that was just to throw you off a little bit. Now you can touch it. You can drink it if you want to. I don't care. Okay. Life lesson here. This is the first century church. Michael, thank you so much. I also brought him up here because I knew um, I would still be the best looking guy up on the, at the front. Okay, so this is the first century church right here. This is one of the things that they were known for. Uh, in fact, you could go through uh, and look at uh, non-canonical uh, text, uh, um, writings that, that are not in our New Testament. And over and over again, you read people like Josephus, uh, and, and what they say is, this is a group of people who were not afraid to be persecuted, and they loved people who were lesser, and they, they continually gave to one another over and over again. But there's, there's two parts to this whole giving and receiving thing. Okay, the one is, you have to be willing to give. Which, you know, for the ones of you that I know, comes pretty easy. This is like a super giving group of people. I mean, I'm just amazed at the way that you give. And I'm not just talking about financially. I'm talking about the way that you give of your hearts and of your lives uh, the way that you serve other people, the way that you teach classes, uh, it's, it's really phenomenal. Probably an area that some of us need to work on is not the giving. It's the receiving. You know, I would love to think that we are a, a, gl- a glass that is full type of people. I would love to think that things are going phenomenal in your life. That your marriage is wonderful. Your kids finally got things together. You know, for you younger kids, you love to think that your parents are the best parents in the whole world. That, you know, prayer comes easy and studying the Bible is something that you long to do and you hunger for it. And Satan is not attacking your life. But the, the reality is, for a lot of you people, it's not the glass is half full. It's like the glass is bone dry. And you're hurting. And you're empty. And you're desperate. And you tell no one. Because you look around and you're pretty sure that everybody else, based on their smiles and the things that they say, that their glass is really full. 
And you look around and you say, my glass is empty. And if I were to dare to suggest that it was anything lower than seven-eighths full, then people might look down on me because they have full glasses and what I have is nothing. And so I'm just going to hide it and I'm going to hold it in and I'm going to somehow find a way to make my glass look full and I'll use language that makes it seem like it's full on Sunday. And when people ask how I'm doing, I'm fine, I'm great, and occasionally I'll even say I'm blessed. But the reality is, is that I'm empty and I'm broken. And I'm hurting from a marriage that's not working. I'm distraught about how things are going at work. I'm alone and I'm bitter because... My husband died. There's a lot of people in here who are walking around with glasses that are on empty. But they play this little parlor trick like the little baby bottles you get that come with a doll that it looks like it's full and then you turn it over and it magically disappears. We turn ours up and we let everybody think that it's full but really we have a glass that's empty. There are two characteristics that I want to point out from Acts that remind us of what the first century church was like. The first of them, which we've already talked about, was the fact that they underwent a great deal of persecution. And what they offered, what, what they received for talking about Jesus was beating and punishment, and imprisonment, and death for many of them. Now, we're in a different culture, okay? This is, this is not a culture where, you know, we talk about God and somebody screams blasphemy and grabs a stone. Um, really, we're in a culture that is completely apathetic. Uh, they, they seem not to care about what's going on, uh, and they don't really care what we're doing as long as they're able to do what they want. And as long as they can do what they want, they don't really care what we have to say. As long as it doesn't interfere with them. Well, times have changed. But the second thing that I really want to highlight about the first century church that I think we're called to be like is the way that they gave to one another and the fact that they received from one another. Two verses I want to look at. The first one are two passages. The first one in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. You're familiar with 238, but let's look down a little further. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had in need. Every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is in the midst of opposition, persecution. When Christianity wasn't a, uh, even associated 
uh, or known by the government. It was a sect of people in which they thought they were crazy people who followed the teachings of a dead man who they claimed to have risen again. And they said, this is the gospel. They're persecuted. They're thrown in prison. And then in chapter 4, starting in verse 32, it says this, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them. They were no, there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. I, I'm not pushing for a, a social justice agenda. Don't, I, I, what I don't want to say, I'm asking for you to just sell your house and give all that money and live on the street. Um, this is not where I'm going with this. In fact, I, I want to, for this one time, I want to take money out of the equation. Uh, the Bible never takes money out. Jesus talks about money more than about anything else because he knows that money oftentimes gets in the way. But for this one time, I don't want to talk about, oh, he's telling us that we should, you know, pass out $20 bills uh, at church. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about meeting the needs of people that you sit on the pew next to. And I'm not talking about financially. I'm talking about emotionally. I'm talking about spiritually. Are we looking after one another? I, I, I wonder if I would really want to be a part of the first century church. I love the idea that, that they were a family. I mean, they were family. They looked after each other. They looked to each other. They protected one another. Uh, and a few times they got into squabbles, as we would learn from Paul's writings. But they were called to be family. And, and that's what we're called to be as well. I'm not going to tell you that Acts is a blueprint in which we're supposed to follow step by step by step. I think there's something bigger to Acts than that. I think what it's really saying is, it's a group of people who lived just like Jesus lived. Even in spite of the persecution that they were facing. And they were willing to give, and they were willing to receive. And I think as a group of people, while our giving is great, I think our receiving probably needs a little bit of work. And I don't know what it is that's holding you back from saying, you know what, I'm broken and I need help. But the reality is, I, however many people are in this room, we are all broken and we all need Jesus. And as long as we live a lie that says, I'm good enough and I'm okay, and anytime somebody says, are you fine, you say, I'm great, then you're downplaying the fact that you need Jesus. And as long as we hold up this everything is great and I'm fine ideology, then we're not allowing people beside us to say, look, I'm really broken. I haven't yet talked to the elders about this. But I want to do this. I'm pretty sure that I would lose my job if I did this. But I would love one day for you to walk in here and the pews be in several 
concentric circles. I would love for church to look like something beside the back of the head of the person in front of you. Church was never intended to be 200 people staring one direction, never making eye eye contact, never allowing lives to come together. We are called to be family. We're called to give to one another and we're called to receive. And that means that for some of us, we need to be willing to look at somebody else in the eye. Maybe it's not an upfront, come here, turn around and look at everybody else. But maybe you need to go to someone and say, I'm really hurting. My glass is empty and I can't fill it. Can you help me? Michael inadvertently made a comment that I really appreciated. He was up here and, and Kara said, well, he can ask somebody else to do it. You remember what he said? Well, nobody else would want to do it for me. Maybe that's your hang-up. Maybe you think that there's no one here that really cares about your spirituality. I can't speak for anybody else, but I can tell you the one thing that matters to me more than anything about you is not your job or how successful your kids are in sports. What I'm really concerned about is that you come to know Jesus. That's what's most important. And I can almost bet that there are other people sitting in a purple pew right now that what they really care about you is your spirituality. And what we need to do is to continue to be a family, a group of people who can look at each other and say, you want to know what? I'm tired of of trying to pretend that everything's perfect. I'm just going to tell you I'm broken. And I need Jesus. If we long to be the first century church, then what we need to do is we need to be a people who share and have everything in common. Set down the I'm perfect. Set down the everything is fine. And if everything's fine, you don't have to lie and say, oh, this is the worst day of my life. But if you're really hurting... Find somebody. We have five wonderful elders. And one, I'm going to get in trouble for this, but one, what do we call you? The Elder Emeritus. And dozens and dozens of godly men and women in this congregation who would love to help fill your cup. Not with what we have, but with what Jesus has offered us. My prayer for you is that you're not going to wait any longer. Don't fake it. Don't pretend. Take a little inventory of your spirituality. And if you're lacking in an area, find someone and say, help me out. Pray with me. Pray for me. We have some people who are hurting. And what they need now is to be lifted up. I was really impressed, and I'll close with this because we're way over, but I was super impressed with something I saw in the bulletin uh, that said Sarah Jarrett said she would love to have come people 
have people come and visit her at Desert Gardens. I think she's in 120, is that right? That's a pretty bold statement. Most people would say thank you for the prayers, but for her to say, you know what, I could use a visit. I think if, if we were all honest, there would be another hundred or so names that people would say, I would love for people to come visit or call or write, and I want to encourage you to do that. We can be the first century church and we can proclaim Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And if you believe that, I want to ask you that you will stand and sing with us as we glorify our King.